From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to larceny detail. An organized gang of thieves is working in your city. Their method of operation is clever and fast. There's no lead to their identity. Your job, stop them. For the next hour, in cooperation with the Around the World Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through actual cases transcribed from official police files. It was cool in Eastport. Mysterious fingers of fog clutched at the boats in the slate-colored harbor. My partner's Rex. The boss is Roy Fishbone. I'm Red. It was 9.46 a.m. when we arrived at room 321. Larceny. Red, we're swamped with reports of stolen items and other, you know, various burglary behaviors. Luckily, we have these witness accounts recorded on 78 RPM records. For example, the 1931 Alabama washboard stompers is reporting a lock stolen off the hen house. Then who stole the lock? I don't know. Thank you. 
Hello, Patsy. Ah, hello, nothing. Say, I went by you when you were standing at the dock the other day, and I spoke to you like a man, and you wouldn't look at me. Say, tell me, are you mad with me? Now, listen to me, Mike. I'm not talking to anybody that works on that job. Why not? Why not? You uh, know why not. You remember we unloaded coal a week ago tonight? I do it was down upon the dock the first day that I joined. Well, sir, something happened that day that would cause a man to fight. And although I've never mentioned it, it's never left me mind. What's on your mind? Before I started out to work, me wife put up me dinner. In a can? I took the can and me coat and vest and hid it behind the shed. You did? When a man about your size came up, oh. he did the thieving sinner. Oh, look at that figure. He stole me can, me coat and vest and everything and fled. Ah, so I think he deserves a punching. Who? The man that stole me luncheon. Was it me? I never said it was. Then don't insinuate it. Oh, but I'm not insinuating. But you're very aggravating. Well, leave and go. I will. You will? She's gone. Yeah, but what had I to eat? I'd give five dollars to find the champion that stole that can. Well, I hope you don't think it is me. I'm not saying it was you, and I'm not saying it wasn't you. What? But let me tell you something, Mike. What? It was somebody that looked like you. Oh, what are you talking about? Now, Morphy, you're a friend of mine, and I know all your ways. We worked together many days. Jobbing here and there. I've done favors for your family too these many, many days. But I'll get even too with someone if it takes me 13 years. You're not accusing me, man dear, of eating of your dinner. You took no lunch with you that day. I'll take my oath on that. But over at the Dutchman's, I had beer and sour wieners. Yes, but beer and sour wiener. Only Dutchmen live on that. Oh, what you so I think he deserves a punching. Who? The man that stole me luncheon. Was it me? I never said it was. Then don't insinuate it. Ah, but I'm not insinuating. But you're very aggravating. Well, leave it go. I will. You will? It's gone. Yeah, but what had I to eat? That was a report of a stolen luncheon, attested by the 1928 Boys from Home, Larry Griffin and Denny Doyle. And before that, the 1931 Alabama washboard stompers detailed an important lock missing from the hen house. Well, Red, where do we start? We So far, we don't have a single clue. Rex, your guess is as good as mine. We can put up posters for the missing lock and luncheon and... Boys! We're being inundated with reports of stolen sweethearts. But, but, boss... No buts. I come in here and you're just sitting around listening to records. I'll give you a few minutes to review these oral reports, and then I want both of you out pounding the pavement. Right. I see the top of the list is Cab Calloway complaining, somebody stole my 1931 gal. <laughs> Somebody came and took her away. She didn't even say that she was leaving. The king 
Okay, Rex, take this down. Somebody stole Cab Calloway's 1931 gal. And then Benny Kruger has musically disclosed that someone stole his sweet, sweet 1925 baby. Yeah, and that's not the end of it. Somebody named Alexander Kisselberg claims, quote, Some rival has stolen my true love away. All right, let's hear the details. Some rival has stolen my true love away. So I in old England no longer can stay. I will swim the wide ocean all around by fair breast to find out my true love who my love the best when I have found out my true love and delight I'll welcome her kindly by day or by night for the bells shall be a ring and the drums make a noise to welcome my true love with ten thousand joys. Here's a health to
Okay, we can add these to the list. Uh, some 1928 rival has stolen Alexander Kisselberg's True Love Away. And then we got a report from Vernon Dahlhart that the pal that he loved stole the gal that he loved. Well, at least we have a suspect in that case. I wonder if it's the same guy stealing all the gals and sweethearts in town. Around the World Police Department, larceny detail. Oh, good lord. Okay, tell us all about it, and we'll record your testimony. Remember, no detail is too cumbersome. Somebody named the Striders says somebody stole their 1948 rose-colored glasses. Jeepers, we'll never get out of here. All right, I'm listening. The sun is high. It's all the same. Somebody stole my rose-colored glasses. The world has lost its rosy gold. Somebody stole my rose-colored glasses. It happened when the lights were low. Somebody stole my sweetest of sweethearts. Now I'm as lonely as can be. Somebody stole my rose-colored glasses. Have a heart and bring them back to me. Somebody stole my rose-colored glasses. The world has lost its rosy glow. Somebody stole my rose-colored glasses. It happened when the lights were low. 
on the judgment day You'll be coming You'll be going You'll be waiting for that blowing But you'll all be left on judgment day Cause someone stole Gabriel's horn You'll be weeping You'll be gnashing You'll be fighting and you'll be clashing When the Lord steps down in front to say Someone stole Gabriel's horn Oh, 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 Gabriel took so long to learn it. Oh, 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 won't the finder please return it? You'll be hopping like a pigeon. You'll be shouting sweet religion. But you'll all be left on Judgment Day. Someone stole Gabriel's horn. can't tell when you all play I'll have to find some other way if I heard that horn I'd know the tone let's try each one of you alone Gabe heard that, and I'm sure he did. He's gonna be glad his horn was here. He's getting old and his eyes are dim, so he'll probably hire you to play for him. A crime report filled out by Bing Crosby with the assistance of the 1940 Dorsey Brothers Orchestra. Someone stole Gabriel's horn. 
and the Striders called in to complain that someone stole their rose-colored glasses. We're up to our pates and protests of pilfering, Red. Are you two lazy bums still here? I can't believe it. And now there's a crime spree of stolen hearts. What the heck are they using those hearts for? I don't even want to think about it. But we need to get to the bottom of it pronto. Yes, boss, sir, M Mr. Fishbone, your, your highness. Uh, maybe if we listen to these stolen heart crime reports, we'll be able to f tie it all together. Well, make it snappy, and I want results. I have the city manager breathing down my neck. Okay, well, the, the new Dixie Demons think they got their hearts stolen by a particular 1936 party, so that's a good start. <laughs> I know to hold you, we're perfect together, we're nothing apart, my troubles are your troubles, oh you rogue, you stole mine.
of stolen hearts. First the new Dixie Demon said, Oh you rogue, you stole my 1936 heart. Then Henry Burr related that a 1914 song stole his heart away. Then the 1916 Peerless Quartet said, Joe with his fiddle and bow stole their hearts away. Well let's head out and apprehend Joe and his fiddle and bow and maybe he can lead us to the other stolen hearts. Okay we'll be back in a jiffy. Leave it. No don't answer it. No, we better pick it up. Round the world police department. Larceny. Red speaking. Oh, for crying out loud. Now what? The 1925 International Novelty Orchestra is reporting one stolen kiss. Thank you. 
Rudy Valley and his 1930 Connecticut Yankees are filing a report of stolen moments. Before that, the International Novelty Orchestra complained of one stolen kiss. How in the heck are we supposed to restore those kinds of items? Do those even count as larceny? Yeah, maybe they're just wasting our precious resources. Around the world, police department, larceny detail, red speaking. You, you what? Where? What time? Who are you? Hello? They hung up. Sounds like an old disgruntled thug. He said if we want to bust the gang of thieves, head down to the warehouses at the waterfront. Oh, sounds scary. Before we go, here's a report of a stolen 1941 tiger rug presented by Eddie Tower und sein Grosses Tanzorchester, which will be followed by a complaint of a 1945 stolen moon by Nino D'Aurelio.
nuvole scure fate di un po' più via voglio stasera meglio sfruttare tutta l'immensità hanno rapito madonna luna tutti la cerca ma in valla su mentre il poeta non sa cantare il musicista non sa suonare gli innamorati non sanno più so è prigioniero e madonna luna se non sorride da quel canto come ne faccio del bombardino, della gran cassa e dell'ottavino, che me ne faccio di questa canzone. Se l'astro non è più nel cielo, le donne non sono più gentili, le bocche che ansaporti, Miele, fredde come il gelo, baciar non sanno più. Hanno rapito Madonna Luna, ma si capisce se può scappare. Pensa ci manca da quattro di rotando si porta qui donde fattuta ritorna a brillare e piangue in me e piangue in me ma guarda che scurettura Hanno rapito la luna, stolen moon, that larceny complaint by Nino Dorelio in 1945. Before that, Eddie Tower und sein grosses Tanzorchester demanded to know who stole the tiger's rug. We're down at the creepy, rusty, dank, and dirty abandoned warehouses at the seaweed-draped waterfront. Yeah, we got an anonymous tip. All right, come out with your hands up. Don't shoot. Here, here we come. I don't want to die. We weren't doing nothing. Better call for the paddy wagon. Boy, will you look at this place. Wow, here's all the stolen merchandise. Oh, we, we put it all in alphabetical order. I'll be dang, so you did. Here's some gals and some glasses and some hearts and horns and a, and a lock and that guy's luncheon and the tiger rug and a true love. All right, let's head downtown and take a statement from you guys. Hey, who, who is that slinking in the corner? Oh, it's Mr. Fishbone. Oh, uh, you guys, it's not what you think. Hey, 
Now have you seen it? Where can it be? Have you seen it? Oh, woe is me. Calling all calls to solve this mystery. My boss was there. Somebody stole my break. Did it go like this, Louis? No, it didn't. But you're there. Somebody stole my break. Did it sound like this, Louis? Oh, no, it didn't. It had a lovely tone. And I feel all alone. Won't that man return? The thing for which I've yearned. Somebody stole my break. Did it swing like this, Pops? No, Dutch, it didn't.
Tommy Dorsey and his 1937 orchestra with that stolen melody, before which we heard Louis Armstrong and his orchestra with the 1936 Somebody Stole My Break. Yes, Red and Rex get to keep their jobs as detective sergeants in the round-the-world police department larceny detail. All stolen merchandise was apprehended and returned. No one got hurt because they were shooting blanks. What was the motivation for this crime spree? Even the criminals themselves aren't sure what dark forces drove their felonious behavior. Since the town doesn't own a jail, the miscreants were sentenced to community service, picking up roadside trash and manning the WSHDLP booth at music festivals. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. We pause now for station identification. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Welcome, dear friends, to Hour 2 of Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Next, we hear how crime expert Gracie Allen tackles crime solving, a 1947 episode of the George Burns and Gracie Allen Show. So let's listen. Yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, our happy postman, Mel Blank, and Lorene Tuttle, Elliot Lewis, and Lou Merrow. For your Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. It's evening in the Burns' home. George is in the den working while Gracie is huddled in front of the living room radio listening to her favorite crime program. You killed a plumber. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Take that. No. Ah! Open up. It's the police. Come and get me, coppers. Four of you, huh? Take that. Oh. 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 You're a mad dog. You killed the plumber. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Take that. Oh, I'm stabbed. <laughs> the, the laugh is on you. That wine you drank was poison. Oh. Well, I guess it can't be exciting every week. <laughs> Gracie, would you turn the radio off for a minute? I want you to hear a joke I just wrote for our program. I say to you... Good news, Gracie. I won today at Santa Anita. And, and... Oh, that's very cute, George. One of the funniest jokes you ever wrote. <laughs> now, let me turn the radio back on. Wait a minute. That's not the whole joke. Well, it's all I have time for. I'm listening to my favorite mystery program, The Tall Man. The Tall Man? Yeah, it's all about a private detective named Rudy and his wife, Trudy. Rudy and Trudy. Oh, such a lovable couple. <laughs> Every week they go out for a walk and fall over a dead body. <laughs> Sound lovable. Well, I'll turn it back on so you can hear it. Now, Rudy and Trudy are about to solve the case of the punctured plumber. Well, I'm dying to find out who punctured him. <laughs> well, I'm ready to name the murderer, Trudy. That's Rudy. Are you really, Rudy? Yeah, that's Trudy. Thanks. I'd never figured that out. <laughs> it was very simple, Trudy. 
As you remember, when we fell over the plumber's body, his crooked partner, Joseph Jones, was standing beside him with a smoking revolver in his hand. He's the one. He did it. Is he the murderer, Rudy? No, he's innocent. <laughs> Shut We then noticed, Trudy, that his jealous ex-wife, Sarah Smith, was kneeling on his chest with a dagger between her teeth. Hmm, she's the one. She, she did, did it. it. Yeah, yeah. Is she the murderer, Rudy? No, she's innocent. <laughs> oh, poo. We also discovered, Trudy, that his insane nephew, Ben Brown... <laughs> was lurking at his feet with a shotgun and several hand grenades. Oh, he's the one. He did. Must be. Yes. <laughs> Is he the murderer, Rudy? <laughs> no, he's innocent. <laughs> oh, darn it. And who did puncture the plumber, Rudy? The murderer was Ebenezer McGonagall. Oh, darling. You're so clever. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> well, we'd better get home and get some rest. Yes. Let's. Turn it off. Try it. Well, they fooled me again. I'd never have guessed that Ebenezer McGonagall was the murderer. Who was Ebenezer McGonagall? Well, I don't know. That's the first time his name was mentioned. <laughs> I thought it was Sam Crowley. So. Oh, I wouldn't miss the tall man for anything. Yes, it's a great joke. Now, about the joke I Oh, wrote, dear, I said I'm good tired news. of jokes, George. Why don't we have adventures like the tall man and his wife and do them on the air? Forget it. Well, you could be the short man. <laughs> Gracie. Or the bow-legged man. <laughs> Gracie. Oh, the middle-aged spread man. <laughs> We're not going to be detectives. Oh, but they lead such exciting lives. They just walk down the street and stumble over corpses. Come on, George. Let's walk down the street. Gracie, those things only happen on radio mystery programs. I don't believe it. Oh, please. Let's go for a walk. All right. I'll go for a walk. Good. But I don't expect to wind up in a mystery. I'm only going because I need some fresh air. Now listen to my joke. I say to you, good news, Gracie. I won today at Santa Anita. And you say, really? What jockey was riding you? You do need some fresh air, dear. <laughs> yes, we'll take a long walk. Oh, I'm so excited, George. I just know we'll run into something sinister any minute now. Yes, yes. Gang of gangsters or a band of bandits or a hood of hoodlums. Yes, 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 yes. George! Huh? What is it? Look at that man coming towards us. Look at the way he slinks along. Oh, I know he's a desperate criminal. Gracie, are you... He's coming right up to us. We'll capture him red-handed. Excuse me, I'm the new minister. <laughs> Could you direct me to the parsonage? Two blocks down. Come along, Sherlock. <laughs> well, you solved the case of the sinister minister. Oh, all right. I was mistaken about him. But I still say we'll have a terrific adventure. Oh, sure. Something is bound to happen. I think I smell an opium den. 
you smell tobacco. We just passed the cigar store. Oh. Is that where you buy your cigars? That's right. Then I don't smell tobacco. <laughs> Gracie, would you just forget this idea? Let's let's not George! Smell what? Oh, I knew it. Look, there's a dead man lying on the sidewalk. He's been shot. By golly. It is a man. Let's see what's wrong with him. So he's had a lot. <laughs> Some dead man. And you thought he was shot. Well, he's half shot. <laughs> Come along, Philo Vance. Well, I'm not discouraged, George. I'm positive we'll discover a crime. Yes, yes. We'll capture a bank robber or a murderer or a... <laughs> did, did, did you hear that woman scream? <laughs> yes. It came from that park house. Oh, quick, open the door. Yes? What do you want? <laughs> it's Bill Goodwin. Oh. Oh, hello, Burns's. Uh, meet my girl, Frances. Bill, was that your girl who gave that terrible agonized scream? Oh, yeah, yeah. I told her she couldn't see me again till tomorrow. <laughs> they all scream when I tell them that. Oh, brother. Hey, what are you two doing out roaming the streets this time of night? Well, I've been looking for a corpse. Looks like you found one. <laughs> uh, let's go, Gracie. So long, funny man. So long, boogeyman. <laughs> you know, I can't understand why we haven't found any crime. By now, the tall man program would have had two murders and three commercials. <laughs> let's go home, no, huh? No, 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 not yet. Gee, it's dark along here. Yeah, it is kind of dark. Perfect spot for a murder. Yeah, nice little spot. George! Look! Look at that figure coming toward us through the shadows. It looks like an ape. Oh, I'm scared. Well, Well, Oh, George! George! He's coming closer. Oh, I can hear his footsteps. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. Burns. You, Mr. Postman. We thought we saw an ape. No, my wife's not with me. <laughs> I went to the movie alone tonight. Would you like to go walking with us, Mr. Postman? We're out looking for crime and adventure. Oh, no, thanks. I had my fill of it in the movie. Humphrey Bogart shot people like crazy. Bang, bang. Crunch, bang, 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 crunch. Crunch? The fella next to me was eating popcorn. <laughs> I wish I could chase criminals like Humphrey Bogart does. They try to run away from him, but he always shoots them in the end. <laughs> yeah. He's wonderful. Well, I'd better be limping home. I drove my old wreck of a car to the movie, but when I wanted to drive it home, it was missing. Well, that's a tough break, Mr. Postman. Yes, now I'll be late getting home and Bertha will scold. No. Yes, she'll be angry. Yes. You speak up to her. I always speak up to her. She stands six feet three. <laughs> well, good night, Mr. and Mrs. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, Gracie, what do you say we go home? Mm-mm. Not until I find a crime to solve. Oh, there must be stuff. I've got it. The postman said his old wreck of a car was missing. I'll catch the crook who stole it. Oh, Mr. Postman. Yes, Mrs. Burns. Could you give me a description of that old wreck of yours? Yes, as I told you, she stands six feet three. No, 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 not your wife. Your car, the one that's missing. Oh, it's a blue 1928 Essex with white wall fenders. Don't you mean white wall tires? No, our garage has white walls, and when my wife drives... Say no more, I know what you mean. <laughs> well, goodbye again. See you tomorrow. Uh, oh, George. George, there's our crime. We'll solve the case of the missing 1928 Essex. Mm. Too bad it wasn't a new Studebaker. Why? Well, if it was a... No. Now, let people point at us. Let them say we're freaks. We haven't done a Studebaker joke, and we're not going to do it now. Go. The Red River Valley. Riding the range in Texas, the lonesome cowboy once sang the cowboy blues. And a great American folk song was born. Which is how great folk music happens, Bill. From those windswept Texas prairies where the Red River runs, it traveled the country over. A cowboy's lament that was sung from the hills of New England to these Pacific shores. Yes, Meredith, and the song has lived on to become part of our folklore and traditions. A familiar and welcome part of our American scene. Last night, the postman told Gracie his 1928 Essex was missing. And Gracie, inspired by her favorite crime program, The Tall Man, was up at dawn this morning to solve the crime. Well, I'm back, George. I've been to the scene of the crime, and I found out who stole the postman's car. Who? The James Gang. The James Gang? Yeah. They've been gone for 75 years. Oh, well, maybe they're laying low till the heat's off. Forget it. The postman's car was not stolen by Jesse and Frank James. Who's talking about Jesse and Frank James? I'm talking about the new James gang, Harry and Betty. <laughs> Harry James and Betty Grable? Mm-hmm. If that surprises you, wait till I tell you who's in their gang. Clark Abel, Norma Shearer, Wallace Beery, and Shirley Temple. <laughs> They stole the postman's 1928 Essex. Mm, I've got them dead to rights. They left footprints at the scene of the crime. Footprints? Yeah. In their haste, they stepped in some wet cement. <laughs> where? Where was the postman's car parked? Outside the movie theater. Then you found those footprints in the cement in front of Gorman's Chinese. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Those people are movie stars. They put their... Well, sure, they're movie stars. That's all part of their car-stealing racket. Huh? First they make a movie, then that lures people into the theater. Yeah. And while the people are in the theater, boom, they, they steal, steal their cars. <laughs> Gracie. What a sweet little racket. When I give this story to the police, somebody's going to get put away. 
I think the audience guessed it. <laughs> That's you they're going to put away. Me? Yes. Gracie, those footprints have been in front of Gorman's Chinese for years. Now give up and let the police handle this. Would the tall man and his wife give up? No. They'd go down to the underworld and start looking for bench robins. Bench robins? Yeah. Chair sparrows? Do you mean stool pigeons? Yeah, yeah. Stool pigeons. <laughs> well, come on, let's go. Uh, I'm not going to the underworld. Oh, that's what the tall man and his wife would do. Either that or some weird and unbelievable character would walk in their door. That won't happen either. Good morning, all. I take it back. <laughs> Hello, Meredith. Meredith, would you like to help me solve a crime? Indeed I would, Gracie. I've always had a flair for detective work. As a mere lad back in Mason City, Iowa, I solved a most astounding and baffling mystery. Oh, what was it? Squash came up in our turnip patch. <laughs> and you found out why? Yes, by dint of shrewd questioning, I learned that squash had been planted there. <laughs> They should have made you chief of police. Well, all right, Meredith. You are now my assistant. Together, we'll find out who stole the postman's 1928 Essex. Look, Gracie, I got to go to the office. Now, play detective if you must. But promise me you'll stay away from the underworld. Yeah, I promise, Dad. Good. See you later. Well, Meredith, as soon as he's out of sight, we'll start for the underworld. But you gave George a promise. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to break it because I love him. <laughs> Because you love him? Well, yeah. If I ever kept a promise, he'd drop dead. <laughs> Let's go, Meredith. Well, Meredith, we're in the toughest saloon in the underworld. Are you ready to start detecting? Ready, Chief. Now, our job is to locate a stolen 1928 Essex. So we'll pretend to be a pair of crooks from out of town. Hey, you, bartender, give us a couple of lowballs. <laughs> yeah. You mean highballs. I mean lowballs. We only got time for a short drink. <laughs> uh, get a move on and stop flapping your trap. You're pretty tough, ain't you, baby? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Tough. Ever hear of Alcatraz? Sure. I'm a sister, Gracie Catraz. <laughs> yeah. And I'm her mall. <laughs> I never seen you before. I've been in stir. The cops caught me and put me in Sing Sing. Sing Sing is a prison for men. Yeah, were they embarrassed? <laughs> yeah, I'll bet they were. Yeah. Uh, me and Mamal's out here to pull off a big job, and we need a getaway car. A getaway car, yeah. huh? What kind you want? A 1928 Essex. <laughs> Who do you want to get away from? Step and fetch it? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, come on, come on. Know anybody who's stolen the 1928 Essex? Sure. Where is he? In Glendale. 
He lives there? No, he stole the Essex last year, started for New York, and that's as far as he's got. <laughs> Guy, huh? Go on, beat it. You're a couple of phonies. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody talks like that to Gracie Catraz. Take him for a ride, Meredith. Come along, sir. Griffith Park is lovely this time of year. Come <laughs> on, oh, get out of here. Well, George, we didn't find the postman's car. If you stole a 1928 Essex, where would you go? To a psychiatrist. Oh, <laughs> well, why don't you help me detect George? No, no. Leave crime to the mystery programs. Uh, come in. Hi, Burns. Hello, Hello Bill. Bill. What's new? Well, Gracie wants to be a detective like the tall man. Yeah, Bill. But, of course, I can't call George the tall man. I'll change tall to broad. Well, you change man to? <laughs> Look, comedian, why don't you uh, revive vaudeville? Impossible, George. When you kill something, it's dead. <laughs> now, Bill, don't tease, George. I'm serious about this detective work. The postman's car was stolen, and I'm on the trail of the crook. Really, Gracie? Yeah. You know, I used to do a little amateur detecting. Maybe I can help you. Well, wonderful. Now, first, you've got to be able to identify the criminal type. Uh-huh. Now, the man who stole the postman's car will have a, a low, receding forehead. Yes, Shifty, close-set eyes. Yeah. A weak chin. Large, protruding ears. Yeah. yeah. George Burns, did you take that car? <laughs> Gracie. Come on, confess. Now, look. Give yeah. him the third degree, Gracie. Beat him with your hose. What? And ruin my good nylon? <laughs> okay, kiddies, break this up. Hey, what, what kind of a car was it, Gracie? A blue 1928 Essex. What? A, a blue 1928 Essex? Mm-hmm. Hey, I saw that car just this morning. Oh, where, Bill? Sitting on a used car lot. Well, come on, let's grab it. Which lot? Madman month? No. Bill, where did you see the car? Was it the smiling Irishman's lot? No. The scowling Scotchman? No. How about the chuckling Chinaman? <laughs> now, wait, let, let me think. I, I was on my way to get breakfast when I saw the Essex. Was it okay? Delicious. Bill, please try to remember the used car lot where you saw the Essex. If George and I solve this case, it means a new career. It means George can give up telling jokes and singing. That did it. It was the frowning Frenchman. <laughs> oh, thanks, Bill. I'll go right over. Wait a minute. I better go along to keep you out of trouble. This is the place, Gracie. The frowning Frenchman's used car lot. Yep. And there's the postman's ethics. Ah, good day, good people. Interested in buying a car, I presume? Oh, yes, yes. I want a car that would be suitable for my husband here. How about a sports model? Look at him. My mistake. (laughs) We'll take that 1928 ethics. Just the car for him. And it's a steal. Yeah, we know that. Only $2,000. $2,000? Well, of course, that's without the extras. Oh, what are the extras? The wheels, the body, and the motor. I suppose they would come in handy. Um, may we drive the car around the block to see how we like it? Oh, yes, here's the key. I'll go into my office and figure out the total cost. Yeah, quick, George. While he's in the office, we'll grab the car. Okay. Start the motor. Darn it, nothing happens. Oh, we've got to escape before he comes back. Get out and push. 
Push. But it's 14 blocks to our house. Well, it's the only way, George. So roll up your sleeves. I'll help you. You'll help me push. No, I'll help you roll up your sleeves. <laughs> okay, okay. You stare. Uh. Uh, gee, I'm, I'm ready to fold up. How far have we gone now? Six blocks. It's funny. We're going downhill, and the car is harder to push than when we started. Well, I didn't want to leave you behind, so I put the brakes on. Gracie. Keep pushing, dear. Mm. Oh, no fooling. I can't take much more of this. How soon do we get to our house? Oh, we've already passed it. Passed it? Well, yes, as long as we were out, I thought I'd go by the market and shop for dinner. <laughs> Gracie. Keep pushing, dear. Mm. Well, home at last. I wouldn't do that again for a million dollars. Oh, I proud of you, George. By pushing that car, you foiled a dangerous criminal. You're a real gangbuster. I don't think a gang is all I busted. <laughs> well, it's all over. We've solved the case of the postman's missing ethics. I telephoned him as soon as we got here and told him to come right over. Will he be surprised when he sees the car in our garage? Mm -hmm, he certainly will. Yeah. Come, come in. in. Hello, Mickey Man. My goodness, I just called you five minutes ago. How did you get here so fast? I drove over in my car. You've got a new car? No, the same old Essex. See, there it is in front of the house. But last night you told us it was missing. It was, but a mechanic cleaned the spark plugs and now it runs fine. <laughs> you, you mean to say that... Your car wasn't stolen? Oh, no. Then the Essex in, in our garage really belonged to the used car man. I'll probably wind up in jail. Oh, no, you won't. <laughs> Wrong, wasn't I? <laughs> All right, don't nobody move. Which one of you drove the Essex up in front of this house? I did, officer. Come along to jail, you car thief. But, officer, you don't know... I said come along. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Postman. Remember, Remember keep, keep smiling. smiling. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, yours truly, Bill Goodwin. The George Burns and Gracie Allen show is written by Paul Henning and Keith Fowler. Good night, folks. Good night. are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1947 episode of George Burns and Gracie Allen, entitled Gracie Takes Up Crime Solving. And speaking of crime, we hear next a 1945 episode of Sherlock Holmes, The Purloined Ruby. Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Now, let's visit our old friend, Dr. Watson. Come in. I'm up here on the patio, Mr. Foreman. 
Come on out and join me. Admiring the sunset, eh, Doctor? Yes, my boy. It's a particularly beautiful one. Where are the puppies this evening? Uh, asleep on a, a favorite tweed coat of mine that's just come back from the cleaning. <laughs> and you hadn't the heart to move them, I suppose. No, no, I hadn't. The little fellows looked so comfortable. In fact, I sometimes wonder if these... Uh, but you haven't come here to listen to a dissertation on the behavior of dogs? Well, it is getting near story time, Doctor. Yes, of course it is. Well, just let me... Uh, Get my pipe properly lighted. Ah, that's it. The story I'm going to tell you tonight began in 1909. I received a telegram from my old friend telling me that he was leaving his Sussex bee farm and coming to London for a few days. I hadn't seen the great man for several months, so naturally I went to Victoria Station to meet him. As the train drew to a stop, the door of a first-class carriage swung open and Sherlock Holmes... Hand outstretched, jumped down onto the platform to greet me. Watson, my dear fellow, how are you? Oh, Holmes, my dear fellow, it's good to see you again. I've missed you. And are you, old chap? Carry your bag, sir? Uh, yes, Porter, and get us a handsome cab, will you? Right, you are, Governor. I wish I'd got a spare room for you. Don't worry, Watson, I shall be very comfortable at the Diogenes Club. By the way, I trust you're free this evening. Yes, naturally. What are your plans? I thought we'd go to the theatre. Theatre? Oh, what play do you want to see? Oh, I thought we'd go to the Savoy Theatre and see the Sherlock Holmes play. I hear it's enormously successful. Yes, I know it is, but I've avoided it. I'm told that Sir Claude Horton takes great liberties with your character, and as for the actor portraying me, my friends tell me it's, it's a travesty. He makes me nothing but a uh, bumbling old fool. <laughs> Therefore, a visit to the play might be a salutary experience for both of us. In any case, my trip to London is a response to an urgent telegram from Sir Claude himself. Seems to need my help rather badly. Oh, what's his trouble? <clears throat> well, he wasn't specific in his telegram. He suggested, however, that we attend tonight's performance and discuss the matter with him afterwards. I see. Well, I, I suppose if you can sit through it, I can. Of course you can, old fellow. In any case, you yourself are partly responsible for the play's existence. How do you mean, Holmes? <laughs> Those sensational stories you wrote of my modest problems, I... I should have seen where they would eventually lead to. In time, no doubt, we shall uh, be portrayed on the cinematograph as well. Nonsense, Holmes. That newfangled thing's only a toy. I think not, Watson. We're on the edge of a strange new mechanical world. In fact, I begin to feel a certain concern about the rumored developments in wireless telegraphy. But enough of these predictions. Here comes our porter with a cab. We'll tell the driver to take us straight to the Savoy Theatre. <laughs> Look at that line of people at the box at the uh, box office, home. Very flapping, old chap. Well, possibly, but I hope it doesn't mean that we've got to wait our turn. And... Oh, excuse me, gentlemen. You're Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, aren't you? Yes, yes. I yes. thought I couldn't be mistaken. My name is Frank Ferris. I do, Mr. Ferris. I'm glad to meet you, sir. The Claude has a box reserved for you. He asked me to see that you are quite comfortable. Very considerate of him. Will you follow me, please? Thank you. Um, neither of you has seen the play before, I understand. Uh, no, Mr. Ferris, we haven't. <laughs> I imagine it'll be a strange experience seeing yourselves portrayed on the stage. By the way, uh, I'm playing the part of an old friend of yours, Professor Moriarty. Oh, indeed. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a very entertaining evening. I presume that you escape our clutches, as usual? <laughs> yes, I do, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> and I've done it nightly now for 137 performances. Oh, a record that I'm sure Professor, uh, Professor Moriarty himself would envy. Had it not been for his memorable demise at the Rackenbach Falls... Ah, here we are, gentlemen. This is the box reserved for you. 
And now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to my dressing room. Oh, oh, I nearly forgot, Mr. Holmes. Sir Claude asked me to give you this note. Thank you. No, not at all. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> Very nice fellow for an actor. Don't be a snob, Watson. Well, what does the Claude note say? I'll read it to you. Dear Holmes, since I telegraphed you yesterday, there have been strange developments. In fact, I've been doing some detective work off stage as well as on. Watch the performance tonight and watch the audience too, particularly the occupant of the box opposite yours. Please come to my dressing room as soon as the last curtain has fallen. Oh, he's being very mysterious and the box opposite ours is empty. No, no, no. Look, Watson, look. Someone has just entered. Confound it, the house lights are going out. The first act's beginning, Holmes. The first act, yes. Well, sit back and relax, old fellow. Let's see what they've done to us. Well, what did you think of the first act, Holmes? Huh? Oh, the first act, yes, yes. I was, um... Examining the occupant of the box opposite ours, an attractive young lady, alone and unusually preoccupied in her program. In fact, one might assume that she was trying to hide her face. Yes, but the play, don't you think it's ridiculous? Just imagine a crown jewel being stolen from the Tower of London. Why not? It's been attempted many times. Anyhow, you must admit that the actor who's portraying me behaves like a, like a blithering idiot. <laughs> and Sir Claude's interpretation of you is uh, pretty far-fetched. Far-fetched, but flattering, Watson. What poise, what suavity, and what a voice. I find myself thoroughly entertained. You're a strange chap, Holmes. No accounting for your tastes. Look, Watson, look. <laughs> the back of the box over there. Good Lord, I could have sworn a man dodged behind the curtains. I don't think the girl saw him, though. Looked like a foreigner. <laughs> I think as the young lady's alone, we'll take the liberty of joining her. Oh, dash it, there go the lights again. The second act starting now. And sit down, old fellow. We don't want to attract attention. We'll join her during the next intermission. Yes? <laughs> Who are you? What do you want with me? Uh, my name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, young lady? I hope you'll forgive this intrusion, but Sir Claude requested that I keep an eye on you during the play tonight. Please come in and sit down, won't you? Thank you. Oh, this is very kind of you. You must forgive my abruptness just now. When I've just been watching Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson being impersonated on the stage, it's, it's rather startling to have the real couple walk into my box. <laughs> yes, I quite understand. By the way... Just before the curtain went up on the second act, I thought I noticed a man come into the back of this box and then disappear again. Were you aware of his presence? No, no, I didn't see him. But I know who it is. He's been following me for weeks now. Perhaps you'd like to tell us about it, Miss... Uh... Henshaw. Alicia Henshaw. Yes, I would. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm here tonight. Sir Claude Horton's an old friend of my father's. I went to ask his advice. He did some investigating himself for a few days, and then he found himself a little out of his depth, so he decided to telegraph for you, Mr. Holmes. We were going to meet in his dressing room after the performance tonight. Splendid. And now, Miss Henshaw, what is your story? It's a strange one, Mr. Holmes, though I didn't realize just how strange until I first saw this play a few nights ago. You see, my story concerns a stolen ruby. Good Lord, and tonight's play revolves around the same thing. Exactly. Well, I might as well tell you how it all started. My brother's an officer in the British Army stationed in Egypt. 
Early this year, he saved the life of a very important native personage in some uprising in Cairo and was rewarded with a magnificent ruby. This jewel he sent to my Uncle Timothy and me. We're the last of the Henshaws, you see. Did your brother tell you the name of this personage? He didn't know it, Mr. Holmes. Apparently, the whole affair was hushed up. I see. Please continue. Well, the trouble began shortly after Uncle Timothy and I received the ruby. A description of it was published in the papers, and a few days later, a message came to us from an Egyptian, Mohammed Ali, laying claim to the stone as one stolen from his family years ago. He sent an expert to our house who examined the ruby under a lens, Mr. Holmes, and then tapped it with a hammer. It fell to pieces. It was a fraud. Gracious me, an amazing thing. I'm sure that's not the end of the story, Miss Henshaw. Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I wrote and told my brother what had happened. He became very suspicious and suggested that I investigate the credentials of the expert that examined the stone. I think I can finish the story for you. The supposed expert was a jewel thief who substituted a paste ruby for the real one. Destroyed the imitation and walked off with the treasure. It's no trick. Of course, you haven't been able to find any trace of the supposed expert. Well, that's the funny part of it, Mr. Holmes. Uncle Timothy and I gave a description to the police, but it was a very vague one, I'm afraid. All the time, Uncle said the man reminded him of a colleague of his many years ago at the university, a professor of mathematics. He couldn't think of his name, but when we first saw the play a few nights ago, he was reminded of it. The name was Moriarty. Moriarty? But Moriarty's dead. Miss Henshaw, you say you uh, have been shadowed for some weeks. Yes, by an Egyptian. They've stolen the ruby, Mr. Holmes. Why don't they leave me alone? That, Miss Henshaw, represents a, a very fascinating problem and one that I shall be most happy to help you solve. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Holmes. Oh, there go the lights again. The last act. Yes, the last act of this little play, but not, I fear, of Miss Henshaw's problems. Uh, let's meet after the act in Sir Claude's dressing room, shall we? <laughs> Holmes, how did you enjoy the play? Very much, Sir Claude. May I introduce my old friend, Dr. Watson? How do you do, Sir Claude? How are you, Doctor? I see you've already made the acquaintance of Miss Hanshaw, and she, no doubt, has told you her troubles, eh? Yes, Sir Claude. And Mr. Holmes has promised to help me. Splendid. Uh, tell me, Watson, how did you like the play? It was uh, interesting, Sir Claude. Not quite accurate, of course. Well, you, you have to allow us a little dramatic license, you know. What did you think of Rodney, the man who was portraying you, Doctor? Well, since you mention it, I think the fellow needs to study diction. He, he mumbles so much, I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> oh, come now, old fellow. I, I think there are times when you're a little hard to understand yourself. Oh, rubbish. Sir Claude, I oh, hope you'll uh, meet us at the Diogenes Club, and then we can go out and have some supper. Excellent idea. I'll join you there after I've taken off my makeup. Splendid. I think I should be going home now, Sir Claude. I gave my address to Mr. Holmes so he knows where to get in touch with me. Very well, Miss Henshaw, and don't worry. I shall give your problem my undivided attention. I'll take you to your cab, my dear. Oh, there's no need to, Sir Claude. Nonsense, I insist. Goodbye. I'll be back in a moment, gentlemen. Good night, Miss Henshaw. Good night, good night. Strange business, Holmes. What, what do you make of it all? Very little as yet, but it's a fascinating problem. Sir Claude really seems to uh, have identified himself with the character of Sherlock Holmes. He gave me the impression that he feels quite capable of, of solving the case by himself. Oh, hello. Claude hasn't left, has he? Oh, no, Mr. Fellows. He's coming back in a moment. Uh-huh. <clears throat> How'd you like to play, gentlemen? Very much. Your own performance as Moriarty was most convincing. Yes, yes, indeed, sir. Congratulations. Congratulations. A couple of times there, I had a strange feeling that you, you really were Moriarty. Well, that's very flattering, Doctor. 
Oh, hello. Well, it sounds as if there's some trouble at the stage door. Hey, excuse me. Come on, Watson, let's follow him. Right. Hello, it's Claude. He seems upset about something. Yes. What's happened, Claude? Oh, there you are, Holmes. I, I just seen Miss Hanshaw off in her cab when a foreign-looking fellow came out of a doorway and got into another cab. I heard him tell the driver to follow her. I, I tried to stop him, but he got away. Must be the same man that we saw in her box during the play. Mr. Claude, we have our address. I think we'll drive there at once and see that she's arrived safely. We'll join you later at the Diogenes Club. Off on another adventure? Yes, and one they may give us an opportunity of crossing swords with Moriarty once more. Oh, Moriarty's dead. He was killed when you and he fell over the precipice in 91. He was supposed to have been killed, just as I was, but his body was never found. It's impossible, or rather possible, that he returned to pour into the ears of Colonel Moran a story as unlikely and as true as the one I related to you on that April evening in 1894. One can never... Be sure of death, old chap, until one has touched the cold skin of a corpse. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. The famous pair have become involved in a strange mystery concerning a stolen ruby, a frightened girl, and an Egyptian who appears to be shadowing her. As we rejoin our story, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are standing in a darkened alleyway adjoining the girl's house. Holmes, Holmes, look, look, look. That Egyptian fellow. He's pacing up and down in front of our house. Yes, therefore, we may assume she's safely inside. Uh-huh. Seems to be giving up. He's, he's coming this way. Flatten yourself against the wall. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Who are you, please? We are friends of Miss Hanshaw, and we're very curious to know why you've been following her. I'm sorry, but I cannot answer your question, sir. Now, look here, my man. You're talking to Mr. Sherlock Holmes. You are a Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I'm greatly honored to meet you, sir. All my life I have known of you. All my life I have admired you. Then in that case, perhaps you'll answer my questions. Uh, why have you been following Miss Hanshaw? Because it is my duty. What do you mean, your duty? Perhaps I should have said my destiny, Mr. Holmes. For two generations now, the family of Arabi, of which I am a humble member, have dedicated their lives to finding the stolen treasure of Ashut. What on earth all that got to do with Miss Henshaw? Hmm? The treasure of Ashut is a giant ruby. It was stolen many years ago from the family of Muhammad Ali. A few months ago, Miss Henshaw received a mysterious ruby. I have found out many things, Mr. Holmes. I have many sources of information. Then I must regard you in the light of a, a rival detective in this case. I heartily call myself a detective, Mr. Holmes. My life is dedicated to only one problem. Miss Hanshaw now says the jewel was stolen from her. I do not believe it. That is why I watch her. If I am wrong this time, and I do not think I am wrong, then my quest must go on. Always it will go on. Permit me to wish you the best of luck, sir. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Good night, gentlemen. Oh, good night, good night. Sure, we shall meet again. Oh, why did you let him go, Holmes? Why not? He's frightening Miss Hanshaw. But not molesting her, old chap. In fact, it might be a good thing if someone is keeping an eye on her. In the meanwhile, Watson, let's see if we can find a cab and get back to the Diogenes Club. I don't want to keep Claude waiting.
Has the Claude Horton arrived yet? Yes, Mr. Holmes. He and another gentleman came in about five minutes ago. They went up to the library. The other gentleman has just left. I see. Thank you. This way, Watson. I'm sorry, Sir Claude, to have kept you waiting. We took a little longer, but... Sir Claude! Great heavens! What's the matter with him? Holmes! I... I... I found the answer. Too late. It's... It's... No, 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 sir. Don't try and stand up. You're... You're ill. What are you trying to tell me? The ruby. The ruby. Moriarty. The answer... The answer's... In... The book. In... The book. Mr. Claude! Holmes! He's been stabbed. He's dead. Just as he was trying to give me a message. He was muttering something about the ruby and Moriarty. And twice he said, it's in the book. Yes, there's a book still in his hand. It's a copy of the tales of Edgar Allan Poe. His thumb's marking a page. It's the story of the purloined letter. Thank you, Sir Claude. You delivered your message. Come on, Watson. If we want to catch a murderer and a thief, we must go back to the Savoy Theatre as quickly as we can. <laughs> Why do you suppose Sir Claude was murdered? Because I was too curious. He'd been investigating the problem of the stolen ruby and had found out something. Something he promised to tell me at supper, you remember? And so he was killed by a man who came with him to the club tonight. Fortunately, he gave me a clue. By indicating Poe's story of a purloined letter. But I still don't see that how that helps you. Well, it leads us to the ruby. The premise of Poe's story is that the most obvious hiding place is the safest. Now, what uh, physical object was most prominent on the stage in tonight's play? By Jove, uh, a ruby. Exactly. How better can you hide a stolen ruby than by exhibiting it night after night as a stolen ruby before the eyes of thousands? Well, you mean you expect to find it in the in the property room backstage? Precisely. That and a murderer. Wait for us, cabby. Come on, Watson. You have your revolver, old chap? Yeah, yes, I do. Well, keep it handy. Our uh, visit may not be unexpected. Unlocked. That's good. Come on. Look, Holmes. Look. The doorkeeper. He's slumped over his desk. Hmm. He's been given chloroform. We'll take the liberty of borrowing his lantern. Oh, an eerie atmosphere. About a dark and empty theater. Isn't there, Holmes? Now, where would the stage properties be kept, I wonder? Hold the lantern a little higher, will you, old fellow? Yeah. That's it. Uh-huh. Look over there. A large cabinet. It's marked property department. And it's unlocked. Oh, this is frighteningly easy. Let's look out for a trap. Now, let's see. Look, look. There's a ruby lying on that press. Hold it up under the lantern, Watson. Exactly. It's as I thought. This is no paste stage property. It's a genuine ruby. In the light of this lantern, it's very hard to... Down, Watson, quick! He nearly got us. Smashed our lantern. Yes, he's got an air rifle, a powerful one, too, confound it. There's no flash to indicate where he's firing from. Of course, he's baited his trap so neatly that he knows exactly where we are. I'm going to take a shot at him. I can't see anything, but at least it'll let him know we're armed. Now move your position quickly, Watson. Just missed me, Holmes. This is hopeless shooting in the dark. Yes. 
I've got to switch the stage lights on. Keep him occupied, old fellow, will you? While I try to find the light switches. I've got him. But he still, still shoot, confound it. Yes, well, I found the light switch. Keep your eyes skinned, Watson. I'm turning it on. There he is, Holmes. Up in that box. He's getting away. After him, Watson. We can jump over the footlights into the box. Ah! I'm afraid the bird has flown, Watson. I should have remembered that theater exit doors always open from the inside. No, no, he didn't get away, Holmes. Look on the floor there. It's that Egyptian fella. Oh, I hope you haven't wounded him too badly, no, old I chap. don't care if I have. He was trying to kill us. No, it's only a shoulder wound. He's fainted, infernal scoundrel. No, he's a very gallant man. Undoubtedly, he was trying to save us as you shot him just now. Holmes, what on earth are you talking about? Obviously, he's Moriarty. No, Watson. Moriarty just escaped through the door you heard clang a few moments ago. Then what's this man doing here? As a fellow detective, undoubtedly, he followed us. Perhaps he preceded us. When Moriarty started shooting, this man tried to capture him and got wounded by you for his pains. Then who is Moriarty? He must be someone connected with this theater. It's obvious. Moriarty is Moriarty. What? You mean Frank Ferrers, the fellow that played the part on the stage? Again, remember Poe's story of a purloined letter. But why didn't, didn't you recognize him? Oh, remember, I haven't seen him for 20 years, and you haven't forgotten his genius for disguise, have you? What incredible audacity. How better could Moriarty conceal himself than by announcing nightly to the theater-going public that he was Professor Moriarty? Then he killed Sir Claude. Of course he did. Sir Claude must have persuaded Moriarty to go to the club with him. Probably he hoped to expose him in front of me, but Moriarty found out that uh, Sir Claude knew too much. Yes. So he stabbed him. Rushed back here to bait his trap for us. Yes, 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 yes. But, but how did he know that we'd, uh, we'd walk into it? Well, he knew that if Sir Claude had guessed his secret, then I certainly would. And so he was waiting for us. Oh. Hello. He's coming too. How are you feeling, my man? The... The ruby. The ruby. Did you find the ruby? Yes. Here it is, sir. Tell me. Is it the ruby of Muhammad Ali? No. No. It is a fine stone, but it is not the one for which I have searched all my life. And so my endless quest must go on and on and on. He's fainted again. Ah, poor devil. Fine mess I made of this case, Watson. Oh, I don't know. You've recovered the ruby? Yes, look at it, old fellow. Before I turn it over to Miss Hanshaw, look at it well. Probably it's every facet stands for a bloody deed. It's a beautiful stone. And yet this lovely bauble has cost Sir Claudie's life. And that devil, Moriarty, still goes free. But one day, Watson, and may the day come soon, I shall meet Moriarty again. And when that happens, and I finally bring him to justice, then and only then, can you write Finney to the character of Sherlock Holmes. Well, Doctor, that was kind of an exciting story. Tell me, did the Egyptian recover from his bullet wound? Yes, indeed he did, and rather quickly, too, Mr. Foreman. I felt very badly about shooting him, but of course, uh, I couldn't help it. Of course not. Uh, but you know, if I had to shoot someone accidentally, I, I wish it could have been the, the actor who portrayed me on the stage. Wretched fellow mumbled all over the place. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. 
After all, you did recover the ruby. Yes, and a beautiful stone it was. The color of, uh, well, uh, the color of a fine glass of port when the light shines through it. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Second Stain. Mr. Rathbone appears to the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce to the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1945 episode of Sherlock Holmes, The Purloined Ruby. I had a wife and dude ranch, and both were doing fine. I love those 40 acres, for she was mine, all mine. Last night, we came to dinner. My wife was making stew. You made me lose my dumpling while she ran off with you. You my wife, you heartbeat. The wife that I used to adore. You stole my wife, you heartbeat. But don't bring her back anymore. At times a rough voice sounded, just like a lion's roar. She serenaded me nightly with each and every snore. Her features were uneven, both cheeks were out of place. Her nose was really roaming, it roamed all over her face. So my wife, you are sweet. The wife, the wife, the wife that I used to adore. You stole my wife, you are sweet. But don't bring her back anymore. was so noisy the neighbors called the cop my bebop made a bobby that's why I changed to pop my wife and I would quarrel but she was all to blame she led me round in circles now dizzy is my name you stole my wife you are the wife the wife that I used to adore. You stole my wife, you heartbeat. Don't bring her back. I don't want her back. Please don't bring her back anymore. 
Somebody stolen my honey And it just ain't right Somebody stolen my honey That's why I'm blue tonight I tried to tell her how he's lied And how he'll quit her soon But it's no good, she's satisfied She thinks he hung the moon She'll learn a lesson though someday Pretty soon she'll know She'll be a wiser girl someday And I can say I told you so But that's no good to me right now It doesn't help a bit somehow Cause somebody's stolen my honey And my honey's stolen my heart Who 
train off the track Whoever took it better come and put it back My baby wouldn't make me wait You'd walk home if the train was late So who stole that train off the track? And our bonus crime spree was reported by Dizzy Gillespie and his orchestra. You stole my wife, you horse thief, in 1949, followed by Somebody's Stolen My Honey, featuring Ernest Tubb in 1948. And finally, Who Stole That Train? A musical question posed by Ray Price in 1953. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week! Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHD LP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. Mad Pad. Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, dig this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe. 
every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz. But by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. Hi, this is Craig Williams. I've been collecting music first on 45s, then LPs, cassettes, CDs, and digital files for over 40 years. From the obscure to the sublime and the familiar to the mundane, it's pretty much all pop music of just about any era or genre. And I call sharing it with you unabashedly playing favorites. Please tune in every Friday from 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WSHD LP Eastport 93.3 FM. (laughs) 